Episode 51, I Ching Introduction. Welcome to Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast that explores how ancient wisdom, a practical perspective, and deep truth can empower you to live your best life. In this episode, Taoist master Michael Steenrod describes how the ancient I Ching can answer the three questions that you should be asking the Tao every day. And he proposes that we exist mainly because we are afraid of our own non-existence. Really, the I Ching embodies certain, I would call it uh, nine standard patterns of, of change alteration. It's just that if you're working at the theory of pattern change, it can be really hard to understand. And the I Ching basically gives you pretty more straightforward interpretation that says, you know, don't do that, or uh, this time is great for you, uh, or no matter what you do, people will hate you, or the only way to do this is to whip everybody into shape and have them do it, uh, or run, run right now. <laughs> Don't put down the book, just run. <laughs> and then as you become more sensitive and, uh, uh, and you have more knowledge, you can start focusing on the actual hexagram. And the hexagram is useful because it tells you if you're in a dominant yin or if you're in a dominant yang phase, what part of it is shifting, how much of it has shifted. And also it starts to... See, part of what you have to do over time is if you want to work with the classics that talk about yin and yang, you have to actually come to understand how the ancients thought about yin and yang, which is vastly different than how people think of yin and yang today. And so you have to erase modern knowledge of yin and yang and, re and replace them with the model that was actually existent at that time. And, uh, and so what you really have is a theory of gradation within the yin and yang. Uh, you have gradual percentage shifts. You have times where things are at dominant phase. And the parallel for this is actually the season and the time of day. So you have a peak time of day, you have transitional times of the day, uh, and you have the same thing with the seasons. You have a peak season, so summer is a peak season, uh, and then fall is a transitional season, winter is a peak season, spring is a transitional season. So you overlay those factors together and you can see from the natural environment that the yin and yang of things flow well, the yin and yang of choice or of probability also flow. And for most people, the only direct access they have to probability is through the I Ching. Uh, they don't have any other access point. Basically, change is an interplay of the action you should undertake and the thing that's occurring within the environment. So you get a combination of, of those two things blended together within a reading of the I Ching as partly the environment and partly what you should do in response to what's occurring within the environment. And it's also partly what the outcome is going to be. And you can actually focus your question into those areas. So you should always at least ask three questions if you're working with the I Ching. And a simple way of saying this is, that, is what I do every single day unless I'm specifically looking for something is the matter of, uh, well, what is today's dominant phase? 
what is today's best action? Okay. So let's say today's dominant phase is, it will rain a lot. Your best action is, carry an umbrella. <laughs> and then you ask, if you want to, the third question, which is, what is the outcome of my best action? You're going to get wet anyway. So sometimes it doesn't matter. Uh, or by carrying an umbrella, you will manage to save a dog. In 10 years, the dog's offspring will drag you from a burning building. Well, usually you don't, you don't get those hexagrams too often, but they're, they're the additional hexagrams. They're kind of at a diagonal, so <laughs> supplemental hexagrams. So. The actual like tossing of the items is almost irrelevant. You just need something that's associated with it. You can actually just do it on your computer if you want to, because uh, the whether or not the the movements of the items or the bits or the electronics coordinate with anything is going to deal with your karma primarily. Uh, so it's the fact that you can't directly access the probability matrix. But part of you can. You still have the portion of you that's the Tao. It can still make those things, and it's really just the Tao portion of you talking to the non-Tao portion of you, saying, uh, "Well, okay, here's how it's going to work," and uh, and then you work it that way. Uh, and if your readings are solid, you could repeat them several times, and they'll come out exactly the same, uh, even though you're doing a random sequence of stuff. Uh, the, and the stronger your karma is, the more definitely precise they'll be. I mean, there are other methods of doing that, so you get sometimes a very complex situation can only be revealed in chunks because all the I Ching does is look at small pieces of it. Like if, so if you want to expand your I Ching, what you do is you can take those three questions and then you break it into three time cycles. Uh, and so then it's like, well, what is... What's the dominant phase right now, and uh, the, or today? What's the dominant phase across the next three months? What's the dominant phase for the entire year? So you uh, generate a different time cycle, because of course those are going to be different. And as soon as you hear it, it's like, yeah, of course the time cycles would be different. Like. You know, we can we can sit back and go, well, today will be sunny, but overall across the three months, there'll be more rain, but across the last hundred years, you're going to be down overall when it comes to moisture. Uh, and so you can position the I Ching so it samples in three time cycles and moves from there. And the real reason that the I Ching was restricted what had more to do with uh, people accessing it uh, than anything else. Uh, so, for example, emperors had no restriction of sampling for the I Ching. The people that tossed the I Ching for the emperors tossed it all day long. Okay. They didn't sit back and take a break. That was their job. They just tossed the I Ching. So, and then they sat down and, and recorded the phases and worked with the shifts of it over time. That's why uh, you get much more accurate interpretation there. Now, if you're just a peasant, one, you can't afford to have the I Ching tossed for you all day long, uh, and two, you're probably kind of asking a hybrid question anyways, which is, 
tell me something that combines the, both the dominant phase, the best action, and the result of what I do. Uh, and why? Because you can't afford to get three separate readings and then have somebody coordinate it together for you. Uh, however, the resources are strong enough now where you can certainly do that yourself with enough study. Uh, so let's not, let's not ignore the uh, function of wealth when it comes to having somebody dedicated to working the future for you repeatedly over time. It's not that it was taboo. It became taboo because you couldn't afford it. Uh, like most things that were taboo. It's like, yeah, it's taboo unless you have the money to do it, and then it's not so taboo. You can do it as much as you want. And uh, otherwise, the priest is like, well, we need to see the next person. Well, I want more. Oh, you can't do that. Taboo. Okay. No, you have to create your own relationship with it if you want to do it seriously. Uh, the, if you, the interpretations and in the readings, there are some variations like among the sources, but for the most part, there's more overlap than there is difference. So you can use pretty much any source you want and uh, still get reasonably good responses. The, if you really want high-level accuracy, then you have to go into an, an in-depth study of it. and You start sitting back and, like for me, the things that are very useful it becomes a matter of, well, it, how young is this young phase? And so if I get absolute young, then I know, well, this is a pretty absolute young phase. I also know it's not going to be there for a long period of time because you don't stay at absolute positions for a long time. And so it can be helpful to know those things as you go through. It's also helpful to know in which case or in which way the yang will decay or in which way it'll shift towards yin. Will it start shifting from the bottom of the hex or will it start shifting from the top of the hex? As that leads it into either turmoil or different types of coordination and stuff like that. So. And that can provide a lot more information than um, sometimes the hexagrams themselves. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that for the most part, when I toss them, I know what the outcomes are. You're really just you're getting another source of information from the Tao mind. Sticks or coins, or you can do it electronically. The books go over the the coordinations. Well, you can you can buy sets of coins so that you can toss them. It'll explain as to what the standard coordinations are. So. Uh, my teacher is a physical immortal or immortalist, uh, but he's a modification of the, the of the original schools of phys uh, physical immortality. So he's definitely extended his life to an outrageous point uh, by extending his youthfulness to an outrageous point. Uh, but what he basically believes is that uh, certain systems of awareness stay intact, and certain systems of awareness are broken down and recycled. Uh, so some individuals are broken into their component pieces and simply recycled through the process. Uh, and that, by the way, is very similar to the ancient systems of reincarnation from Buddhism and uh, even within some Hindu, uh, Hindu systems. The thing that reincarnates within reincarnation systems is vastly different than what most people think it is in the old uh, application. It's kind of like this, it's a piece of you that is shaped and then reincarnated. And for Taoists that believe in the reincarnative cycle, uh, they very believe very much that there's basically like a little shaped or uh, carved block, it's another meaning of the uncarved block, that is shifted through the cycle. Uh, and your object is basically to have that block reshaped and bent in multiple and different ways as it passes through time. Uh, 
For soon, his basic belief is that things are completely broken down or they are preserved, one or the other. And the things that are completely broken down are recycled, not reincarnated, recycled. So it's like, you know, your Coke bottle getting broken down. It doesn't have any Coke logo on it, you know, in its next life. Uh, its constituent parts do. And so that occurs at the level of awareness as well as at the physical level. So your carbon is recycled, your constituent parts are broken down and recycled. And uh, however, certain things become so valuable uh, that they shift uh, or they maintain structure uh, pretty much infinitely. They can maintain structure outside of time or they are simply reabsorbed by the Tao meaning that they're like a little bubble, they're a complete container, and then they simply get reabsorbed by the Tao. And that's how the Tao experiences things. Uh, so it, makes an, it has a mechanism that makes a decision, well, what I need to do is recycle this, or that was useful, and then reabsorbs it. Uh, and uh, it goes through that process, which also links with the... Uh, the concept of nirvana within Buddhism, you jump out of the reincarnative cycle, and it's just that uh, soon, for very specific reasons, believes there's a destruction cycle within awareness, uh, and that awareness is either destroyed, uh, meaning it's simply broken into component pieces and recycled, or it is absorbed or preserved kind of in a third state as you go through, like an independent little bubble. And so he has driving forces that compel him to believe that uh, and things that he can act on uh, very specifically that support that theory. He is not dominant, meaning that his position doesn't dominate the range of Taoist thought within a four ascendant or within even... But the, the fact is, is that the things that he believes, he believes very specifically for very specific reasons and he can demonstrate them. Uh, which makes it very compelling. However, even thinking about the way he thinks about those theories is pretty much outside of human realm. You know what I'm saying? The, just grasping his theory and how it actually works requires a great deal of prior work, so you're walking up to it. As, and what it may be is that the reincarnative model may exactly overlap with what he's talking about. It's just that it in his model, within his, it's less forgiving because things are, things are broken up into bits and destroyed. However, that does fit the universe. Things are broken up into bits and destroyed. Now, what determines that? That he doesn't know. He does, however, believe it is a matter of energy. So, To really understand Soon's theory, you have to be able to perceive the choice structure while you're talking to him. Uh, and which is a state that I can only maintain for short periods of time. So think of it as a Taoist PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> the problem is, is that he can point out specifically what he's talking about, but you have to be able to see the net. I can see the net willingly for short periods of time, but I don't have his tremendous knowledge. So it's like my multimedia projector is faulty it's like, and so I sit back and go well yeah I can see that and that and it's like well what's this over here like, you need to work on your projector and uh, we hope you're enjoying this episode of Living the Tao a spiritual podcast 
This podcast is sponsored by the fine folks at Water Mountain. Please take a look at some of the great Forescendant Sphere merchandise. Your purchase helps keep everyone gainfully employed. Please go to thedaoismforthemodernworld.com and visit the shop. Now, back to the program. I haven't met any of the eight immortals. What I can tell you is this, that the gods do in fact exist. Uh, And many of the gods exist. However, creator gods do not exist. So many of the things that humans have assigned to gods, the gods don't do. Uh, The role that humans think exists between the gods and between humans, the relationship, is incorrect. Uh, It doesn't function in the way that humans believe it functions. Uh, Also, um, by the concept of creator gods, I'll explain that. The gods do not create the universe. Uh, when you're dealing with gods, what you're dealing with are higher form chings. Uh, meaning, and we're all chings. We're, so it's like in I Ching texts, we're combinations of illusion and reality. Gods are more real than we are. Uh, and so if people ask, well, what's the relationship between the gods and humans? The best I can explain to people is we're kind of like pets. Uh, we really are. Yeah, if you ask for something long enough, like if your dog sits there and makes puppy eyes at you long enough, you're going to give them something. Or you're going to kick them, one of the two. Like from the human perspective, that's the best illustration I can provide. Gods don't have a particular agenda for humans. They don't really care. They have their own existence. The big difference between a god and a human, what makes them more real, is that uh, gods are completely aware. Meaning that they're fully aware of everything that they occupy at any particular time and they're completely aware of the future and the past Uh, and actions are undertaken with full awareness of both future and past movement uh, which is way beyond human capacity Uh, so like when we sit around and we're guessing oh it'll be blah 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 uh, a god knows exactly what it will do uh, so there's no mystery about that. The other thing is is that there's no concealment of your nature. Uh, so whereas we might guess as to what our nature is or spend a lifetime trying to learn, you know, blah, blah, blah about the person next to us, with gods, all that information is instantly and immediately available. And the reason for it is simple. And so whoever you are and whatever you've done, if humans exist at that level, and in fact, that's one of the big things that come at adept practice, we don't realize it, but because we're existent throughout our time cycle, you actually carry every single act that you've ever done, every intention that you've ever had, always with you. And the information is actually available to anybody that actually wants to know it. Uh, so there is no mystery about hiding this or about hiding that. You are exactly what you are. And the thing with the gods is that that is actually constant information. There's no mystery as to what it is. Uh, and so whatever it is, whatever the intention it is, uh, life is built around or existence is built around a much more extensive knowledge of uh, past and present. So all actions are undertaken with complete knowledge. Well, it could be that the limitation of awareness is partly a matter of the bad software of social mind uh, and partly a matter of energy. As the more you perceive, the more costly it is to you energetically. 
and your average human can't perceive very far. Well, let's take a person very late in their life, somebody who's having trouble, you know, just getting around. Usually there's a restriction of their awareness, like how far can they perceive into what they'll be doing tomorrow, where are they right now, and what were they doing yesterday. Uh, If they're low in energy, they may have little to no idea of what those factors are. And so we see that on a scale within just day-to-day human life. Uh, the fact is, is that we may be the same thing at our current level of Qing. So ascending or shifting through or upward in spirituality may really be about, well, by definition, is about raising your Qing level. And that really may be an, a consequence both of energy and choice uh, combined together. And so... When Soon talks about what he believes, uh, based on very specific reasons, if you look at it energetically, if a structure has too little energy or is too poorly designed, it can't maintain coherence, meaning it can't stay together. It's broken down into pieces and then is recycled into the system. The higher the energy level, the more its Qing shifts. Uh, and the more it moves to a state where it maintains greater and longer term structure. What that will be for each individual person is up to them. Uh, meaning that uh, if, if you want to use the idea or as you progress you will, you'll have to move in the idea of death into your own life strategy because of course it's a major factor in your life. So you'll have to find some way of addressing it, but the perception you have of it over time will change. And part of it, it will change because you'll realize there's nothing you can do. Like there's just some elements of death that that are too large for you to address to start off with, and there are some things that you can address almost immediately. And You have to kind of cycle, or not cycle, uh, sort what you're going to address at any given time. It's like, I can't do anything about this, so why worry about it? You just place it off to the side. And that's part of planning. Part of planning is sitting back going, I can deal with this thing at this particular time, and that, and that's a large part of planning. There are just some things that are outside of your range. But Soon's model is very compelling in part because Soon is so very powerful. Uh, and that in itself is its own persuasion. Uh, the other element is, of course, for much time, I com- was strongly leaning towards Soon's model. However, over time, I've begun to shift away from that because I think that awareness within the universe may be different, uh, different than uh, different than in the way he believes it is, uh, and. Uh, I can't really explain the difference uh, between that, but the whole idea that awareness is, I don't actually believe that awareness is contained within a bubble. I, and this may in fact not com- conflict at all with anything in that, within that model, so I'd, I'd have to sit down and contemplate and examine and see how those work. I think a lot of what we think of as being or of making us alive is incorrect. I think a lot of what we, and I know for certain that a lot of what we believe are the boundaries of the self are actually incorrect. 
meaning that we think that we're defined by you know the fact that we can do this or the fact that we can do that or the fact that we can do this over there nearly all those things are wrong because we don't actually do those things or anything can change it so for example the concept of willpower uh, if we sit back and think well what is our life as we go through uh, our life is a combination of being aware so we see things and then we respond to it and that's what makes us alive and we are burdened with the thought that we are alive and in reality that that's pretty much what it is if you didn't weren't burdened with the thought that you're alive or if you suspected that you in fact weren't alive uh, strongly suspected it uh, then you wouldn't be really be burdened by the entire concept uh, so the other thing is is that we believe we exist because we fear our non-existence and that is really a major driving force when you start losing your fear of non-existence or when you lose it completely you start suspecting all sorts of things because what you find out is those are like two big things so most enlightenment practitioners will talk about life as being the preservation of awareness or the preservation of your ability to choose or something along those lines. So if you examine enlightenment religions, Taoism, uh, Buddhism, there's, or Hinduism, there's some sort of co core component of that. What I really think that most humans in their day-to-day -day life define themselves as existing by, they fear the other state. They are defined by the fear of death. That's the only reason that they believe they're alive. It has nothing to do with uh, being aware or of making choice. If that fear disappears, then they are plunged into the thought, uh, as I was plunged into the thought, that you don't actually exist. Or your existence is something entirely different than what you thought it was. And that's the point you ultimately reach. But initially the response is, does that mean I don't exist if I don't fear the other state? Perhaps there's no difference between the state of existence and that. Yeah, so. But... And so a lot of what we regard as being, you know, we can sit back and I've talked about connection or the connection among all things. The flip side of connection is that there may in fact be no difference among humans. Our ching may not be so different that there's any significant boundary between the different shapes of humans. The concept of the individual may just be entirely wrong. And we sit back and we think of connection and we use the word connection because we presume that there is a difference. There may not be any difference. There may be no significant boundaries between what we view as being individual units. So if we start eliminating both fear as a defining factor and boundary as a defining factor of individual existence, then what do you really have? That doesn't necessarily conflict with uh, Soon's model at all, uh, and but that's really the area that over the years I have spent more and more time working in, is the fact that the the entire concept of boundary may be so horribly flawed uh, that uh, it has in fact flawed the pursuit of enlightenment. If anything, the coral the coral reef labors under the thought that. Uh, that will present its motion and prevent its movement. 
the individual can simply reach the realization that much of what they're thinking about individual existence is incorrect. Uh, but as soon as, you, as soon as you realize and gain access to what you actually are, uh, then you are capable of great forward jumps in the process of enlightenment. Uh, until that time, you're making a plan for something that doesn't exist. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that social mind is, is the, the horrible bad guy. It's really a combination of plans for things that don't exist. Uh, it doesn't matter except that it will change the process of enlightenment, meaning that the procedure that you follow to pursue enlightenment. Uh, and that's really the only thing that I'm thinking about it. And also if you ask a question about the nature of death, because uh, the, the enlightenment response or the reincarnative response is that you have this distinct thing that's passing through time and space uh, and it occupies different spots within time and space. One, it may not be a distinct thing. Two, there's nothing to pass through. Uh, meaning that it isn't it, there's no individual space to fly through and there's nothing to fly. Uh, and that's the reason that the, the reincarnative model is wrong. What I can say is that true awareness, the awareness that has moved around and shifted in advanced practice, the thing that actually moves, the true part of the Qing, not the illusionary part of the Qing, is vastly different than what people think it is. And so, for example, we've talked about the gods. I use that term to coordinate it with there's a fiction of the gods, but they refer to a real thing. Right? The real thing is vastly different than the gods themselves. There's a significant difference. The portion of you that's capable of interacting with higher Qing or of doing higher Qing things is not the same portion that you are familiar with as being you sitting in a chair type of things. And exposure to higher Qing creates that parallel instantly. Like you see it and it's like, oh crap, a large part of me is fake. Uh, and and then you really do come to that conclusion. It's like, oh, this is this part of me is real, and everything else is fake. How about that? That's just fantastic. Uh, and uh, what do you have? You have instantaneous acceptance. As of course, you can't deal at that level if you lack the basic tools. You need the ability to accept things as they are, respond to things as they exist, not shape the universe, blah blah blah. So there are basically a series of barrier experiences. Uh, and unless you can do those things, you don't get the experience on the other side. Once you can do those things, then you get the experiences on the other side. And you have vast awareness primarily because you always had vast awareness. And the thing is, you're no longer, you're no longer paying attention to the fake parts of you. They might hang around just like your clothes hang around, but they're not actually you. Uh, and so you sit back and go, oh yeah, yeah, the fake me believes that. The rest of me doesn't really even care. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Living the Tao, a spiritual podcast. In the next episode, Taoist master Michael Steenrod recommends that you stop letting your four-year-old self guide your actions and identity. Until then... 
Find much more on Taoism at thedaoismforthemodernworld.com. Thank you.